Well, hello, everybody. This is Rabbi Dan Levin, and this is Essential Questions. A recent study conducted in 2020 revealed that 54% of children between the ages of 6 and 17 in the United States participated in some kind of organized youth sports. Many speak of the amazing benefits of participation in youth sports for a child's physical and emotional health and maturation. When I was a kid, I also played on a variety of teams. Growing up outside Washington, D.C. and Montgomery County, kids participated in MSL, the Montgomery Soccer League. And for a few dollars, kids got a shirt, socks, and a chance to play on a team with a 10-game schedule. There was t-ball and Little League, and even though I was the shortest kid in the class, I even played a couple seasons of basketball. I remember sitting in Hebrew school on days I had a game, anxiously watching the clock, my leg tapping with anticipation and excitement for the game that was coming. In the summers, I swam on our local swim team, and in high school, I ran nine seasons of track and cross country. Youth sports teach so many important lessons. Not only do children learn to grow their gross and fine motor skills, but they develop intellectual skills, concentration, analysis, even math. They also learn extraordinary values and spiritual skills, perseverance, resilience, drive, determination, graciousness, and teamwork. And more than anything, they have fun. And yet sometimes young people encounter a lot of bad stuff in youth sports. They see people lose their composure and lash out in anger. They encounter cheating, dishonesty, and meanness. Too often, children experience bullying, hazing, or even violence. Sometimes children suffer serious and permanent injury because of pressures to play and compete while hurt. National scandals about sexual abuse of young gymnasts tear at the heart. And parents often play out their own fantasies and dreams vicariously through their children. Pressures to compete or to win at all costs or to reach for a remote college scholarship often rob children of the fun and joy sports were meant to bring. A child's participation in youth sports can be extremely expensive and time-consuming. Excellence and achievement often require sacrificing other avocations or extracurricular activities and can also compromise a child's academic performance. And at the same time, the sense of accomplishment and joy from honing a skill to an elite level can create an enormous sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. As children grow in their participation in sports, what is the best way for a parent to guide them? How can we help our children maximize their experience of youth sports and competition while ensuring they draw out as much of the benefits while not falling into the traps that can ruin the experience for them, their teammates, or even ourselves? Today, we welcome two extraordinary experts to help us learn how best to parent our children in youth sports. Dr. Andrea Korn is a psychologist who for decades has treated children, adolescents, and families. She is the author of Raising Your Game, drawing on interviews with over 100 major sports stars to teach the important lessons for children's participation in youth sports. Dr. Korn's articles on parenting issues, youth sports, and child development have been published in South Florida Parenting Magazine, the Miami Herald, and the National Alliance of Youth Sports, and she has appeared on podcasts, radio, and television. Randy Nathan, also known as Coach Randy, is the president and CEO of Coach Randy Says and has enjoyed a 30-year career working with children and youth. Coach Randy is the author of Bullying in Sports, The Injuries We Don't See, and the book Feathers Are Everywhere. He is adjunct professor at Union College and the Rutgers University School of Social Work and previously served as mental training life coach for the Rutgers Newark baseball team. Coach Randy Coast Bad to the Dad podcast and was president and CEO of Project Next Gen, a leadership training and professional coaching organization. It's a privilege to have you both with us on Essential Questions today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for the invite. It's a pleasure to be here. I just have to say that I'm the co-author. The book was my idea, but I could not have done it without my co-author, Ethan Skolnick who way back in the early 2000s was working for the Sun-Sentinel and then the Palm Beach Post and was doing radio and TV. So he had the access 
to the athletes. I had the idea for the book. <laughs> so Randy and Andrea, tell us about what was your interest as a child that drew you to be involved in youth sports? And then as you grew into your adult careers, why did youth sports continue to be a focus? Randy, why don't you start us off? Uh, I played the three predominant sports, football in the fall, basketball in the winter, and baseball in the spring. Uh, I also played tennis and I played the piano. Uh, I loved the game of baseball growing up, played through high school with the dream of going pro, although that dream did not take place. Uh, so that is kind of where my, my love of sports, in particular baseball, came. Uh, when I had kids, um, I decided to become a coach of my son's baseball program. Uh, I also coached soccer the teams, and so I got involved with coaching, loved coaching, continued on through the rec level, owned my own club team, coached Division Three baseball. At one point in 2011, I got involved with my own company, doing a lot of uh, anti-bullying work. And a mentor of mine had mentioned that uh, it may not be a bad idea to explore bullying in sports. And so that was in about 2011, 2012. And from there, the connection of playing, coaching, and then my work with uh, harassment, intimidation, and bullying kind of came full circle, uh, where I started doing some uh, research and discovered that there's a tremendous amount of bullying that goes on in sports, whether bully parents, bully coaches, uh, players, which includes hazing and other kind of pieces. And that's kind of brought me full circle. I'm now also a, a softball umpire. So now I have an experience as a parent because all my kids play sports. I was a coach, uh, an experienced sports through that, and now I'm an umpire. So that's kind of how my 25 word or less evolution of uh, sports and getting involved with bullying in sports. Thanks, Randy. And Andrea, how did you get involved with sports? Well, I love this question too. And I spent a lot of time thinking about it because it made me realize something very important about myself. I came to this field by two very divergent pathways. The first one was from a love of my father who had a love of sports and who was the most avid sports fan I, I knew on the planet. I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri in the 60s. And back when I was a child in those days, there was every major league teams, just like there is in South Florida. So with my dad and my mom and brother, we went to the football Cardinals before they moved to Phoenix. We went to see the St. Louis Hawks before they went to Atlanta, saw the St. Louis Blues, and of course the St. Louis Cardinals, and went to three World Series. I went to Stanley Cup playoff games, did everything. We lived and breathed it. We spoke it in the house. We listened to it on the radio. My dad coached junior high school football, and they won a state championship. I love sport. I love being around it. And yet, as a young girl, 8, 9, 10, in the early 60s, organized sports, extracurricular sports outside of school did not exist. I wanted to play on a softball team. I couldn't. I would have played on a football team or a flag football team. I couldn't because they didn't exist back then, way back then. But what I could do, one of the few sports that was available for young girls was tennis. And tennis became my sport. And when we moved to South Florida in the late 60s and I started high school, I did not make the team at Beach High in 10th grade, but I made it in 11th and 12th grade. Our team won the state championship in 11th. Of course, Chris Everett was the best player in the state, but we had the best players. And I was good. I was, but not superly fantastic. And the reason why I realized, and I did not know how to communicate this way back then, was my fiercest competitor was me. I was filled with anxiety. I was full of insecurities. I had a lot of self-doubt. And the person that kept me from really reaching my potential wasn't my opponent. It was me. So fast forward years later, I'm in graduate school studying clinical psychology, taking classes in child and adolescent development. And wow, Eureka, all of a sudden, I realize I am going to take the theories that I have learned, and I am going to integrate them and apply them in a practical way to help parents help their children have the most rewarding and enjoyable youth sport experience. And if I can just add one theorist, which is Eric Erickson and his lifespan theory of psychosocial development, because it takes the individual and their challenges and how they intersect 
with society. And if you take these first four stages that start with birth through the age of 12, which has to do with trust versus mistrust, autonomy versus shame, initiative versus guilt, industry versus inferiority. If you help a child have healthy personality development and embrace the positive attributes of those four developmental tasks, learning how to trust in yourself, in your body, learning how to know that you have to do the running and the jumping and the hitting and the swimming. You have to find autonomy, meaning you have to find a way. You have to do it yourself. Your dad can't go up and hit the ball for you. You have to be at the free throw line. You have to be the one to run the bases and you have to swim the laps. And the initiative, it helps create a purpose. You find the children dream. Part of the initiative of finding a joy and love of sports is having that dream. I want to be like my favorite player when I grow up, whoever that may be. I love Bob Gibson. I, I, I had so many t- favorite players, Kurt Flood. And then the last one, industry, is about competence about learning things. That's what school age children are doing. They're learning about reading, writing, studying all different subjects. And that's what they do in youth sports because they get to do all those things. They get to memorize plays. They get to study what works and what doesn't work. And so I wanted to help parents see that kind of joy that they can help build for their children so it becomes a lasting and enjoyable activity. So Randy, in addition to all of those benefits that Andrea outlined in terms of what she sees in those early years of child development in participation in youth sports, what are the other benefits that you see from your experience that would, as a parent for yourself, encouraging your children to participate in youth sports, and as you see so many other parents make this a priority for their children, what are the benefits to participation in youth sports? You know, so there are numerous uh, benefits, and it's not just sports, it's all kind of extracurricular activity. Uh, but in particular with sports, we know that uh, sports provide tremendous life skills, whether it's learning about teamwork, leadership, time management, discipline, Ultimately, there was a uh, study out at Harvard University uh, regarding uh, corporate CEOs, 500 Fortune 500 CEOs. Uh, they wanted to prove that being the top 10% of your high school class would somehow enhance your chance to become a corporate CEO. Through their study, they discovered that about 30% of corporate CEOs were indeed in the top 10%. What they didn't anticipate, and they discovered that nearly 80%, over 80%, of corporate CEOs all had one thing in common when it came to high school experiences, and they all played sports. So ultimately, when it comes to sports, life skills, business skills, sports is a tremendous component there. Uh, what has happened, though, is the, uh, the consumerization of sports, the idea of spending money and the uh, having kids choose sports at, one, uh, at a very young age choosing one sports has created uh, a very interesting quandary. Uh, but there's no doubt those kids who are involved with sports are, are more inclined to have greater interpersonal skills, greater team material, understand the elements of time management, and usually have some kind of role model or mentor in their life as long as a coach is a healthy coach in an environment that helped them along their way through the journey through life. Uh, and those are some of the many benefits and positive components of sports. The other pieces that parents do understand based on their own life experiences want to provide that same kind of experience for their kids. And so there's a great opportunity to connect as a family through social elements of going to games and being part of that. You know, I think about that sense, not only obviously the physical benefits of participation in sports, you get exercise, you get healthy, you get strong, you develop your musculature, you develop your fine motor skills, your gross motor skills, all of those natural benefits just from what it is to be an athlete. But I remember talking to a friend of mine whose son was playing on a travel baseball team. And he talked about how the team was almost like a kibbutz. Like the parents all traveled with each other. They were spending hours and hours watching their children play and sitting there in the stands for hours and hours. You really get to know people pretty well. And they developed deep friendships. And they found that any parent could parent any other parent's kid. So if they saw somebody walking out of line, it didn't matter if that was your kid or some other kid on the team. It was sort of this collective experience of parenting and watching the kids grow and developing that that sense of community, I think, is also a significant benefit to watching kids play. 
Uh, Andrea, you had to want to add one other thought there. I, I do. And what I wanted to say is it becomes a bonding force. It's a forced socialization. When children are playing on a team, kids are coming from maybe different areas, different communities. And what matters is the color of their jersey or the name of their team, their logo. And they have that time to bond, whether it's pizza parties or an ice cream social. And it wasn't if they won or they lost, but they come together because they're going to fight their opponent, whoever their opponent is that day. And that leads to a unity and it leads to bonding together and learning to support one another and to be there because no t teammate does it alone. Teamwork makes the dream work. And so you don't have to be the best player on the team, but you're part of the team and everyone matters. Now, if I may, we talk about the kibbutz, it's called the Kihila Kadosha, this uh, sacred community that's created. As a coach, we had a parent snack, and not just for kids, because most games are at night. And what we discovered is by getting parents to know each other, they became invested in other kids, not just their own. And that is an extremely important component of sports. We understand which, which parent was a doctor, which parent was a car salesman, which parent was involved in other parts. And that is a very, very important component uh, to a certain extent. And that is what makes sports fun. We know that kids play sports because it's supposed to be fun, because they develop friends, and they like the sense of competition. We also know kids want a purpose, somewhere to belong, and someone to believe in them. And in doing so, sports has a great component of offering those six components to kids, as long as it remains being fun. I remember when I lived in Livingston, and my son was very little. He was in a coach pitch baseball team. And the coach of the team was this guy named Ace, who was like a former rocker who had married this woman and adopted her little boy and was coaching the team. And, and Ace was amazing. He, he would spend a lot of time with these little six-year-olds saying, all right, we're going to act like men here, and we're going to tuck in our shirts, and we're going to stand in a line. And he had these kids learning discipline. And he says, we will start on time and we'll end on time. And I remember actually one of the best parts of the season was halfway through the season, he had a barbecue at his house for all the kids and they played tug of war and they played around and, and ate burgers. And he says, all right, we're having a team meeting. And he had the kids get down on one knee and he talked to them about it. Who knows, right? It was just hilarious. And having all of the parents all around, we all got to be friends with each other and whether our kids did anything on the baseball diamond that year was completely ancillary to the experience I think the kids had. And it was interesting, Andrea, in your book, you mentioned early in the book this interview with LeBron James and Dwayne Wade during their years with the Miami Heat. And you asked them, all right, growing up, what do you remember about sports? And they talked about kickball. They talked about just playing and how valuable just playing was and how they invented this game that was kind of kickball, kind of volleyball, kind of basketball, kind of baseball that they played in the gym uh, that they invented. Can you talk a little bit about how do you balance this idea of teaching a kid how to take a sport seriously and then at the same time not forgetting to play and just have fun? How do you keep those balances early in a child's participation in sports? Well, I think, A, you have to know your child. But B, I'm going to take a step back. Before you get into organized sports, it's all about play because play is the work of children. It's the language of children. It's how they communicate. We learn so much through watching our children play. And so when they start in those early years of youth sports, you are going to see every parent very clearly if their child is having fun, you're going to tell if your child is angry or frustrated, if your child is unhappy and not enjoying him or herself, because that those feelings are going to come through their body language, their facial expressions, their nonverbal behaviors. But in these earliest years, five through eight, especially nine years old, it's never about winning. It's encouraging. It's supportive. It's helping them trust and believe in themselves. It's helping them realize that they're learning something. And it's going to take lots of hours of practice. No one gets to be a pro overnight. That was the beauty of the book. No professional athlete knew when they were five, six, seven, or eight 
who they were going to be when they grew up. And the other piece of the book that to me mattered most is you have to have one person in your life who was that, I'll say winning time. I don't like the word winning all the time, but that one person who mattered, whether it was a parent, some of these athletes didn't have two parents. Some didn't even have one. They had an aunt, an uncle, a grandmother, a coach, a neighbor an older sibling, but there was someone who stood behind them and believed in them. So it's more about in these early years, helping them find that freedom to be able to play, to be able to use their instrument, which is their body, and to be able to guide them. So in that time frame of youth sports, that they can be their best, try their hardest, and feel proud of whatever they accomplished. And Randy, how about your experience when you have developed your kids or in the ways that you coach? How do you keep that balance of helping a kid respect the needs of what it is to compete and at the same time still learning what it is to play and have fun? So part of it is is part of my work involves working with other coaches about what's your coaching philosophy. So it really stems from that. And so I've created a program uh, through my own business uh, is where I coach with pride. Uh, we focus on performance, respect, integrity, determination, excellence, where we create better players and better leaders. And the idea is that helping from the very beginning, telling parents and communicating what sports are really about. It's about striving to win and teaching life lessons. And that angle is very important because most, most individuals involved in the rec program, the rec scene, are parents. And they don't have coaching skills. They don't have educational skills. They've entered the world of informal education and they don't realize they're actually educators. And their goal is really teaching this life lesson. And so they kind of cross uh, the the river, so to speak, uh, in particular because they coach the way they were coached. And most individuals that are coaching kids now are Generation X and they were coached by drill sergeant, what it all cost coaches. And that's the only way they know how to coach. That's the format. And so it really comes down to coaches and the parents understanding how to coach. Uh, the other piece that we talk a lot about and help you maintain balance is, I forget the company that did this research, but they asked college athletes, what was the worst part of their high school and youth sports experiences? They wanted to find out what the worst part. And almost unanimously across the board, every athlete said, the car ride home. It's called the post-game analysis. And as kids got older uh, and it started to cost more money, it became this conversation on the way home where, Parents were criticized, even after a good game, were criticized everything they did wrong. And so it was supposed to be fun became this element of constantly being criticized, that you're not allowed to make mistakes. And most coaches don't understand how to embrace mistakes. Uh, You get screamed and yelled at in sports. You get punished. And so you start playing in fear. And that piece, uh, from a coaching perspective, really depends on the coach to set and establish the culture. Uh, And so from my angle is I want to help educate individuals a healthy environment, a positive community that allows kids to make mistakes, yet still strive to win. And it's a very, very important balance. But the parent component has become the biggest factor uh, as a coach dealing with the parents, as well as an umpire dealing with the parents. They just don't know exactly how to handle it because they want to win. It's all about winning. And then they take it on their kids uh, and, and those kind of pieces. So it really is an interesting balance. But that's kind of how I approach it. So, Randy, let's talk a little bit about that, if we can explore that a little bit more. Let's talk a little bit about losing. Whenever a kid gets out there on the field, the score is 0-0 at the beginning, and at the end of the game, someone's going to win and someone's going to lose. I remember there was my very first season of playing t-ball. We won the championship, and it was really cool being on the winning team. And then the next year on my soccer team, I think we went 2-8. and eight. And we lost almost every game. And it was hard. And at the same time, I think that losing has a value. So in your experience, what are the ways in which losing is beneficial? And what are the ways in which losing can be harmful? And what should a parent do when a child loses a game? And what should a parent not do when a child loses a game? First and foremost, I love to win. I hate losing. I hate losing more than I love winning. I want to be very, very clear. Brad Pitt stole that line from me in Moneyball. I really hate losing more than I I love winning. So let's be very clear. And so uh, there's nothing wrong with wanting to win, right? But this win-at-all-cost approach, we call them whack coaches. Win-at-all-cost is what happens. Uh, And so what happens is when you start losing in that realm, coaches and parents 
begin to put added pressure because, and that means kids are afraid to make mistakes. The biggest fear kids have are making mistakes and losing because consequences through sports. Most coaches, uh, and this happens at a lot of levels, there's a punishment for losing, there's a punishment for making mistakes, and that's often running. And in baseball, you're running poles. In basketball, you're running lines. And so there's an element of punishment when you lose. Pain is an educator, and so that's an old school philosophy. And so what happens is the coaches yell, the coaches scream, they focus on all the negative things that teams did wrong. They don't know how to emphasize the positive, they look for the positive. And so when it comes to the parents, once the coaches have chastised them, they get in the car and the parents start doing the same thing. Uh, and so what we do is tell, when I work with parents directly, I tell them to say the five most important words, no matter the outcome, no matter what, the five most important words are, I love watching you play. Uh, and that when parents say that and let them know win or lose, I love watching you play, then ask permission, would you like to talk about what happened? And if the kid says no, embrace it and say, fine, I love you. When you're ready, I'm here for you. I just love watching you play. Simultaneously, and I mean this in all seriousness, the best thing parents can do after any game, even before dinner, is go out for ice cream. And the reason why I say that is that that is a place to where you can celebrate and remember the good parts. No one can be angry over eating ice cream. You might cry eating ice cream, but no one can be angry. And when I talk to parents and I ask them about their own youth sports experiences, I ask them what the record was of their kid's age when they were playing sports. So they have a 10-year-old playing baseball or soccer. I ask them what the record was. And like you said, you didn't even know what your record was. And then I say, okay, since you don't remember the record, how do you remember a teammate or a friend on that team? Everybody remembers a teammate and member. And then I ask them, why do you remember the teammate and friend and not the record? Because the record is irrelevant. So let's put sports in perspective that it really is a social community part, and that's the primary focus of what we need to do um, as adults in the worlds of youth sports. Andrea, in your experience, what do you see in ways in which losing can be instructive? Well, I love a lot of what Coach Randy said, but what I really want to also focus on is losing is it's built into sports. If you look at the scoreboard at the end of any game, forget a tie. Some team is going to win and another team is going to lose. It's part of sports. There's a high degree of failure in sports. Look at the statistics of any baseball player, the percentage of the, the quarterback, the ratings. The point being is you have to help a child learn how to lose, how to regroup, how to come back, and how to know that they can get better with practice and in time. I think one of the worst things that has happened to you sports is the professionalization of youth sports and putting demands on children that are really only expected of adults. You really have to keep the developmental stage, ages and stages of children in mind at the youth sport level. Yes, I know there's many parents who vicariously live through their children. It gives them great pleasure to be able to brag what their son or daughter did that weekend out on the playing field or the hardwood or the ice or the tennis court. But the reality is they're robbing their children of that ability to get to learn about themselves because they have to be the ones to develop that sense of mastery. You want to help a child learn through others to have the extrinsic motivation. And yes, in the early years, you may give a five or six or a seven-year-old a trophy. I'm not saying give everyone a trophy at 10 because it doesn't work. But at that age, they need tangible results. At age 10, they're going to look at their peers. They know who's the superior player on the team, but you can compliment them or remind who did the best at each after at, at the end of each game, or who was the MVP who hit the most home runs or made the most free throws. But what the parent can do, which is so important, is you want to create a sense of intrinsic motivation. And by intrinsic motivation, you want that child to be able to say, I want to get better. I want to go out and practice. I want to be the best that I can because I love this sport. This sport means so much to me and I wanna take it as far as I can. If a child does not have that inner drive, they will only go so far because chances are they're gonna have an ego orientation because it's about me, look at me, I'm great, I'm winning. And then they go through puberty and what if their body doesn't develop the way they were hoping and they don't become 6'5", or they're not 7'1", or, or they don't have the lankiness and the leanness to be a swimmer. And so you have to help develop a mastery orientation that 
What can I do to improve? How can I help myself get better? And everything that happens on the sports field is so important because, yes, it transcends into the classroom and into the boardroom. And if everything is focused on winning and you've got to be the best, where is the room for error? If it's not fun at 9 or 10, how is it going to be fun when you're in high school or you're in college or you're working in a career? You have to give children that space that we're just proud of you for being out there and trying your best. I remember I had a coach once that really was insistent that we just have fun. And I remember there was one game we were losing like 5 nothing at halftime. And the coach said, we're still having fun, right? It's still fun. And we're like, no, right? Because we were getting crushed. And he said, no, seriously, like we're having fun, right? And we're like, no. He was like, well, okay then. And he starts walking across the field and the kid yells, where are you going? And he says, I'm going to forfeit because we're not going to play if we're not having fun. The only reason to play is to have fun. And I never forgot that day. And we ended up losing like um, like five to three. We, we, we made it up a little bit in the second half. But I think it was because he taught that lesson that it's not really as much about win or lose. It is actually about playing the game. If I could just add one thing, years ago, I had a parent call me up. He goes, my son is second in the state in golf. He's eight years old. I want him to be number one. Will you work with him? And I said, absolutely not, but I'll be more than happy to help you. Of course, he wasn't interested. <laughs> right, yeah. I think the pressures that are often foisted on young athletes can sometimes be overbearing. And Randy, you've written a lot about bullying in youth sports. Tell us a little bit about what ways you've seen bullying emerge for children. What are the warning signs that a parent should look for? And if a parent suspects that their child is being bullied on a team, in what ways should a parent respond? There are bully coaches. The sad part is it's plausible deniability because a parent's perspective of a coach that treats a kid inappropriately in sports is seen to be okay. They want their kids to be tough. I want my my job as a 10-year-old coach is to make these young boys into men. And so what happens is because of their experience, they find it acceptable for coaches to scream and yell. Now you take that same coach, put them into a classroom, and if they were to teach the same way they coach, they'd be fired immediately. And so one, if the kid is complaining about not having fun, it's another. The other is making sure that the, the coach has a philosophy. Does a coach hold a team meeting at the beginning of the season and share their coaching philosophy? If they don't have a team meeting to share their coach philosophy, or if you ask them, they cannot offer, and all they do is, I just want my kids to have fun, and yet you see the face, you see the things on their faces, then you clearly understand. The other piece is having empowering conversations with your children uh, and understanding what's going on and ask them, what does the coach say and do when you mess up? What does the coach say when you make a mistake? How often does a coach come up to you and tell you that you're doing things that are good? And that's the kind of culture that's fostered through coaches. Uh, and listen to the kids. We've come to a point in our culture where parents uh, will listen to their kid before they listen to the adult. And if a kid is saying it's not fun, you can't say, oh, no, don't be. It's, it's understand what they're saying. The other thing that parents can look for is how the other kids are treating each other. And what the parents are doing and parents are saying in the stands. Uh, because what is happening is through club sports, which is a whole different ball game, we know uh, through our research that one in five families invest approximately $10,000 per year per sport. And because of that, they're looking for return on their investment. So if parents start spending that kind of money, kids eight or nine, by the time they're in high school, they could have spent close to $50,000, $60,000. So there's this higher expectation of what's going on. And so coaches have to have a response to that and let them know exactly who they are, what they're doing. And they talk about having fun, but see if they're connecting with their players outside of the sports. Uh, it's called human equity. Are they developing relationships with their kids? Ask them what kind of stories. The other piece is that some of the biggest bullying comes from parents themselves. And what happens in that situation, they don't realize it, but in some situations, they're comparing their players towards others. They're focusing on the scoreboard and mistakes are not okay. And you want to have the parent ask the coach, what is your mistake ritual? 
What are you going to do when our kid makes a mistake to remind them that the most important play is the next play? If the coaches aren't capable of answering that questions, they have not been educated or trained how to be a positive coach, how to coach with a certain philosophy as an informal educator, and focus on what we call in the classroom social-emotional learning. Andrea, in your experience, when you work with your clients, seeing what happens to a young athlete when they experience bullying? Yes, I have. And I've had children that would start to throw temper tantrums before leaving the house because they did not want to go to the game because they knew the coach didn't like them or they knew the kids were going to make fun of them. And because children are concrete thinkers and learners, meaning, you know, they they think in yes or no, black or white, right or wrong, kids would walk around and like put an L on the up to someone on their forehead so they could say, oh, you're a loser. And so what parents have to be very aware of is when they see that their son or daughter, either before the game, after the game, during the game, their head is hanging down. They can tell by their body language that they're unhappy. And if they can get it out of them, because some children are too afraid to talk about it. But they have to be able to say, you know what, maybe we'll finish the season. We're not going to quit, but maybe this is not the right sport. Maybe it's not the right coach. And for some children, it may not be. But you have to help them believe that you're part of a team. But You have to help then the parent empower that child or go with the child to talk to the coach talk to their teammates. And a lot of times it's very subtle. It's like there's no room on the bench for the child or the coach keeps a child on on the bench and everyone else is participating and somehow there's never time for that child to get out there. The parent has to be aware of these subtle implications of bullying. They're not overt, but they're very covert. They're very subtle, but they do occur because that coach wants to win. Randy, you want to add a little bit more? Just real quickly, as, as Andrew is saying, there these, these these indirect components. One of the biggest things coaches tell players if they're not performing well, and they do so subtly, is they threaten the kid that they're going to sit them on the bench. Now, what that does is create fear, but it also sends a message to all the players who sit on the bench, which means that, oh, I'm on the bench. That must mean that I'm not good. Or they like, let kids like to say, I suck. And thereby, I have no value to this particular team. It's a constant threat that coaches use to somehow, and we remember talking about extrinsic motivation, to somehow motivate them to play better. Uh, and we know players that are much more, in contr- much more intrinsically motivated play better, uh, which is why when I work with coaches, I ask them very clearly, what are the things that are not in your control when it comes to coaching? I ask that with parents, and I ask that with players. And they all come up with a litany of things, all right? then what are the things that are in your control? And when it comes down to whether it's a parent, coach, or player, there's really only two things that they're in control of. Great life lesson, your attitude and your effort. And so what do most parents and what do most coaches and players complain about? Things are not in their control. So as coaches, they start complaining, they start focusing on the things that are not in their control, creating a fear environment where kids respond negatively to that kind of uh, comment. So as sports become more competitive and teams get more selective, there's often a transition for a young athlete's experience. So I remember when I was a kid and you were in rec soccer, you were guaranteed to play two quarters of the game. But then you get to a club team or a travel team or a high school team where it's not as much about participation as it is about trying to win. And sometimes it will happen that a child is denied playing time or that a child can get cut from a team? And how do you help a child deal with disappointment, the natural thinning and losing, and even sometimes being told you're not good enough? How should a parent help their child deal with those kinds of disappointments? Andrea, go ahead. Um, Well, if I could just go back for a minute to say in sports, there's many external variables that no one has control over, weather, the conditions of the field, sometimes even the equipment, the referee makes a mistake, but you have to learn to trust in yourself. So again, coming back to what you were asking, it depends on how much was this child invested in this sport, first of all. Was it the parent that wanted their child to be the best at this sport because they played it or they didn't have an opportunity to play it and they're putting their child in it because it matters so much to them? 
Or was it the child's dream and the child's devastated? If it was the child's dream, you have to help them. Yeah, sometimes things don't work out the way we want and we are disappointed. And how to help them deal with that adversity because it can be a pathway to resilience. Maybe they think about, maybe there's another sport. Maybe this sport isn't the one that may be the best one for you, but what else do you like? You have a lot of potential. You have to find a way to pivot to help your child understand that there will be disappointments in life. Not everything works out the way you want. You don't always get to be the MVP and your team doesn't always win. And if you're cut, then whether it's the coach who made that decision and it was an objective one or the child realizes maybe it hurts, but maybe my skills are not as well developed what else might I do? And it might be something away from sports. And that's okay too. But you want to support your child through the difficulty of the disappointment, the heartbreak, and help them know that you have so much value. You can do so many things and you help build them up again to trust and believe in themselves that something else better will come along. In your experience, Randy, how can you help a child deal with those disappointments of, oh, I didn't make the team, or I am not a starter, or I didn't get playing time. You know, that parents' most important two skills is to acknowledge and validate. Acknowledge disappointment and validate what's going on, but let them know that they have choice. As a matter of fact, in many situations in club sports, if a kid's not getting the kind of playing time they want in one club team, they just switch to another team to get more playing time. So unfortunately, the parents don't allow their kid to experience disappointment. They just find other alternatives to get the kids what they want. And so they don't learn how to deal with disappointment. We do know that sports, and in particular being cut, does help kids learn an element of resiliency. And so when we work with parents through My Pride program, I, we have to focus on the fact that we want parents to focus on the life skills, the life lessons, and be able to step back and say, what's this lesson can be learned? And ultimately, what choice do you want? And help the kids figure out what choice they, if they want to continue what can they do to help improve their odds and be able to hopefully advocate for themselves to go to the coach to listen, where are the areas I need to work on if I want to continue playing or be able to step back and say, you know what, maybe this is a sign where other things that do interest me. I am an anti one sport parent coach professional. Uh, we do know that college coaches, if ultimately you are, you think you're going to be that 1% college coaches don't want one sport athletes anymore. Uh, in particular with baseball, uh, especially pitchers. If a kid's been a one-sport athlete since they've been 10 and been pitching in the spring, summer, and fall, their arm's going to be shot. They want kids to have different experiences. So the best thing we could do is provide alternative experience, not only just in sports, but also in theater, music, and other components because it creates uh, a well-rounded. So it is an opportunity. It's not a, it, There are no problems. There are no mistakes. There is no failure. What we look for from a bigger picture is what is this presenting and what opportunities to present for my kid to learn how to overcome this disappointment because life is all about disappointments and helping them learn from that and grow. I remember in my own experience, I was into swimming in middle school and early in high school. And a lot of the people I swam with at a certain stage became really elite swimmers. And I was just never going to be that elite swimmer. And I remember being at a party in high school, talking to a friend, saying, yeah, I don't know if I want to keep swimming anymore. And she said, why don't you try the cross-country team? Because I'll bet you have pretty good lungs from swimming, and maybe that would be fun. And I'd never done really any running. And I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll try cross-country. And I loved it. It was so much better. First of all, you didn't have to wake up at four in the morning to get to the pool. Second of all, there was scenery. Besides that little black line at the bottom of the pool, you could talk to people. I'm like, this is amazing. And I was so happy that I let go of swimming. I still sort of swam recreationally in the summertime, but track and cross country and running became my passion because it ended up being a better fit. And the disappointment of not being able to remain in that competitive frame with these other swimmers sort of actually ended up being a really helpful guide to a different sport that I enjoyed even more. But as children move into more competitive realms of sports, oftentimes I hear teams and coaches become ever more demanding, requiring a child to sacrifice more and more of their time for the team or to develop. 
So for example, some children are forced to stop attending post-bar bat mitzvah religious education because it interferes with practice. And some sports require hours and hours of practice, even apart from competition time. And so how do you know when it's enough? How do you know when it's too much? When it's consuming your life and that's all you focus on, that it becomes the priority. Um, We have a saying in my family, uh, as long as you care more about your grades, your sports, than we do, then life is good. It's when the activity that they're playing becomes more to the parent than it does the kid is when you clearly have issues. Uh, and I think that becomes the problem because what happens is they're looking at return their investment. I spent all this money, thereby I want some kind of return. I will only buy, and we know bats, I mean bats, in softball costs $500, and that's just a bat. Gloves cost $400. That if you're going to go with this, I'll buy this for you, but you have to commit, you have to practice, you have to put it this estimate, because I want a return. I want to see a return on that investment based on the physical component. When that starts happening, if a parent can step back and say, wait a second, is this more about me and money and return on a financial investment, or am I willing to spend that money because ultimately I'm going to create a better player and a better leader? That's when it's, uh, it's something where it becomes too much. Andrea, what do you think? No, I I agree completely. And unfortunately, many parents mean well, but their expectations are unrealistic. And because they're unrealistic or they are looking for that return on their investment or they have dreams of that their child is going to be a celebrity and have worldwide status and fame and global recognition, that it's worth it. But it's really not because many children at that age could end up with burnout. They could burn out. They could have overuse injuries. Many kids quit. I mean, I think 70% of children, first of all, quit youth sports around the age of 13 because it's no longer fun or, you know, or they want to do something else or they want to just be with their friends. But when they're 15 or 16 and they realize that maybe I may not be going to college, but I'm spending all these hours doing it, it's diminishing returns and and what what is the purpose and what is the point but it may be too hard for that child to speak up so they find other ways to sabotage and I've worked with kids who have sabotaged their own outstanding high school performances because they were so mad at their parents because of the pressures that were imposed upon them I've had tennis players be up 5-2 and Final matches, lose seven, five, you know, all these sorts of things. So they have to find a way to think about what is going on and how can I help my child? Because it's not about having a career at age 14 or 15, because what if they have a career ending injury? What if they don't get a scholarship to college? They have to have another game plan in mind going forward. As we conclude, Andrea, what would be the one piece of advice you would want to give a parent in helping their children maximize their experience in youth sports? Well, we've talked about it. You want to hug them after each you know, time they come off the field or the court or wherever they're playing. Did you have fun? What was the best part of your experience today? Tell, share something with me that you loved. And as long as that child, even if they lose, but I had fun, you know, it was tough, but it was a great match. Or I know I need to work on this. Because you want to develop a lifelong enjoyment of participating in sports because you want it to be part of their lives hopefully that they'll stay active and they'll stay fit and then when they get married and have children one day they'll want to introduce their children to it so it's really trying to keep that connection and that support and embrace listening to your child that's the thing I could say is listen and be there to support them and Randy what would you say one piece of advice you'd want to give a parent in helping their kids maximize their experience so as you asked that question i remember um, i've had parents come to me before and talk to me about my uh, about what was going to happen i give them my my acronym of what i focus on but i do talk about how our focus is really going to be about striving to win but we also want them to have fun and they use a euphemism for winning they say no i want my kid to be competitive and i'm like we are going to be competitive but just because we're competitive doesn't mean we're going to win and there have been times where I've said, then I might not be the kind of coach that's right for your child. You can have fun and win. You can have fun and lose. And so it goes back to the most important things you can tell your kids after you watch them play is, I love watching you play. Many, many, many parents don't even realize that even if their kid does have skills and do have a chance or playing varsity in high school, the last time they're ever going to watch their kid play competitive sports 
is their senior game in high school. Uh, I have encouraged parents to and players to consider club sports in college, not intramurals, but club sports, which allows them to go on and continue playing, not the D1 level, and I coach Division three, but to play a club sport, like my daughter plays club softball. And in doing so, right, continues their love and passion for a game without the pressures. So by saying, I love watching you play, lets them know that maybe, just maybe, they can continue watching their kid play. And after you say, I love watching you play, I swear to you, Dan, the best thing a parent can do after any practice, every game is get ice cream. Because ultimately, when kids grow up, they talk about what do you remember most about your sports with your parents? They'll say, you know what? What I remember the most is that no matter what happened, win, lose, whatever happened, we always got ice cream as a family. And yes, I got the jimmies or yes, I got the, the sprinkles because you know what? At the end, it was a talk. It was a kind of time for us to sit down and talk about it. But we laughed, we giggled, we had a good time because ice cream makes everybody happy. Ice cream indeed makes everybody happy. I'm so grateful to you, Randy and Andrea, for taking your time and to sharing with us your expertise. And for all of those out there who are helping their children enjoy youth sports, the best advice a coach ever gave me, which is one that I try to give to my kids, is it's not about being the best. It's about being your best and about enjoying every moment. I remember there was a young man who uh, became a very elite tennis player group in the congregation, and he had to sacrifice a lot in order to achieve at that level. And I remember I said, Jacob, so is it worth it? And he looked at me, he said, I love it. And hopefully all of our kids, when they think about their experience at youth sports at whatever level they play, will walk away from the court or the field saying, I love it. And so thank you both. And uh, we appreciate your time and for helping us on Essential Questions today. The Essential Questions podcast has been made possible by the Temple Beth El Jewish Ideas Incubator, committed to creativity and innovation in modern Jewish life. Many thanks to our production team, Jason Reeser, Amanda Brenzel, and Susan Stallone. You can find this podcast on Apple Music, Spotify, and the Podbean app as well as on Temple Bethel's website, tbeboca.org slash essential questions. Share this podcast with your friends. Rate us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. And we want to know what are your essential questions. Let us know by emailing us at eq at tbeboca.org. I'm Rabbi Dan Levin, and thanks for listening to the Essential Questions Podcast.